You're listening to The Big Show with George Russick and Matty Rose on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back to the program. It is The Big Show, Russick and Rose. George will be back on Thursday. My name is Matt Rose. Peter Klein joins me today. GVP and Patty Dumas are here as well. We're live in the Doug Lacey Basement Systems downtown studio. Worried about radon? We install custom mitigation systems to reduce your risk. To find out more, visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. Flames Senators tonight, 7 o'clock at the Dome. Wonder if the Flames are going to be playing guilty after that last game against the Chicago mm. Blackhawks. We're asking you on the text line, 960-960. When was the last time that you played guilty? Got a good hour for you here. Uh... Eric Francis is going to join us just after 7.30, perhaps from the hot tub. He's been doing that a little bit lately. <laughs> we'll have a chat with him about the Flames. But right now, it is an all-hockey hour. We go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to chat with Dave Pinota, the editor-in-chief at the fourth period and host on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. David, thank you for taking some time today. I know you agreed to take some time with us before... The chaos in Philadelphia really erupted, so I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, thanks, thanks for having me. Um, definitely was not anticipating talking about um, a pretty big, significant trade uh, that kind of <laughs> came out of left field here, um, and, and and not just you know a, a lead up to the trade deadline in two months kind of trade, a huge potential talent for talent swap here between the flyers and and the ducks um this is the kind of juice we, we want to see we want to drink this up yeah especially ahead of the deadline like two months early like this is like getting a teaser trailer yeah. dropped on us without even expecting that it was going to show up and i guess just g- give us your thoughts on the deal uh it sounds like the reason that this deal happened is because cutter goche refused to be a philadelphia flyer refused to even speak to some of the Flyers' uh, staff and management for the last little bit. And as a result, yep. he was being shopped. The Anaheim Ducks were interested. They had a lot of defensemen. They trade tra- tra- Jamie Drysdale and his second to Philadelphia for Cutter Goche. Uh, what What are your initial reactions? Why did this deal happen? Yeah, I mean, again, initial reaction was a lot of just surprise. Um, the fact that, you know, we, we saw two kids with a ton of potential, um, both star level potential. And look, Philadelphia was um, very, very excited to draft Cutter Goche. They had him as their guy, as the fifth overall pick back in, in, in a couple summers ago in Montreal. Uh, I, that was the, you know, the whole Uri Slavkovsky, Shane Wright thing. Everybody was kind of zeroed in on that. And, uh, I guess a couple days leading up to the draft, talking to each of the teams and you know ahead of Philly, everyone was going, well, I think Montreal's taking Slavkovsky, and I think this will happen, and this will happen. And from Philly, they were going, no, we had Cutter Goche as our guy, unless you know somebody falls to us, this is the guy that we want. And at the time, he was excited about it. He was saying all the right things, and then for whatever reason, kind of changed his mind. And you know, like you said, lately in in the last you know several months actually you know he refused to talk to the flyers brass to danny briere their gm to keith jones the president to the other guys on on the team as part of the organization john leclerc and uh, patrick sharp 
and, and they still weren't, they, I mean, they weren't really given, and Danny Briere mentioned this yesterday, that they weren't really given a reason as to why he didn't want to meet with anyone or, or wanted to sign with the club. Um, so they, you know, have been shopping him. There was some talk going back to the off season that, it, you know, and, and you hear all kinds of stuff. So I give these teams a lot of credit for keeping this as quiet as they did for as long as they did, uh, because you hear his name and you go, nah, it's probably, you know, Philly's looking at every option. It's probably just something in passing. And then they pull this off. Um, and I, I think the world juniors was really the marker where they said, okay, this is, there's no turning back. There's no opportunity for him to change his mind here. We have to move forward with this. And when Jamie Drysdale entered the equation, when Anaheim made him available to Philly in this scenario, they couldn't pass it up. So they were able to make this happen. They get the extra draft pick, the second round pick in 2025. And, uh, you know, this is, I, I think based on potential here and, and, you know, all things being equal, I, I think this is going to be a trade we're going to look back on in, you know, 10 years and go, man, this was a deal that really worked out for both teams. On the Philadelphia side, um, everyone over there right now seems to be falling over themselves to say uh, how much they're totally fine with this kid not being in the organization <laughs> anymore. Uh, well, what, what have you made of the, the Flyers' response to this entire situation? Hilarious. Um, <laughs> absolutely absolutely hilarious i mean they like philly if you've if you've been to philadelphia or or sorry if you've never been to philadelphia for a sporting event not just the flyers flyers phillies eagles um sixers i mean if you haven't been to a game from an opposing team perspective it is an insane sight they love a they love their teams and b they love their villains because they love to give it to their villains as much as they possibly can. And they have done, the Flyers have, and, and most of their local media, one hell of a job in painting Cutter Goche as the ultimate villain here because he didn't want to be part of the organization. Um, I think it's hilarious. I don't have much of a problem with it. I think there should be more attention put on the fact that they're getting Drysdale, who, again, has star potential here. Um, you know, came off an injury last season where he pretty much missed the entire year, um, you know, he- held out, so to speak, I guess, um, this season in terms of getting a, a contract done. Um, so between missing last year and then missing all of training camp, basically, you know, it's taken him a little bit longer to get going this season. But I, I think this guy is going to have, you know, he's, he's top pair potential, no question. They're kind of stacked on the right side with, with Sanheim, him, um, and uh, well, somebody else I completely forgot. I blanked on the kid's name. Uh, but the right side is, is really stacked. And, and, you know, for them to now have an opportunity, so whenever they play, uh, you know, Anaheim moving forward, it's going to be all hands on deck. It is going to be a scenario where they just completely go after this kid. And I, I think, again, I think it's hilarious and, it's another storyline to chalk up Rasmus Ristolainen, by the way, the other guy on the right side. So one, two, three down the, down the right, they're, they're looking pretty good. You've kind of touched on it before, but do we have any indication on what soured this kid on the Philadelphia Flyers? Like, cause it doesn't seem like, Oh, well, I'd rather not. He's like, no, like forget my number. Don't call me anymore. Just over. It, it seems like a pretty aggressive one eighty to take. 
It, it is. I mean, you know, he grew up a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. So I don't know if he's taken that rivalry into account. And, and I mean, it's kind of weird. Uh, you get drafted by an NHL team. Forget about your past team. That's your new team now. But um, he's very adamant about growing up a Pens fan. And, uh, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know if that factored into some type of the equation here. But, again, even, even Danny Breer, their GM, he doesn't even know exactly why because they haven't yeah. told him. Better Goche hasn't mentioned it. His, uh, I guess, family advisor, because he's still in college. College athletes can't have agents. Uh, um, so his, his, you know, fake agent slash family advisor, they, he, they haven't relayed that message either. So Philly is just scratching their heads going, all right, I guess he just won't sign here. He doesn't want to be a part of it. So they, they kind of move forward from there. It's, it's an odd one, um, certainly. But I think, again, I think this is going to be a deal that, that works out for both teams you know, down, down the road because, you know, look, there's you, when you're dealing with prospects and he hasn't touched an NHL game yet, obviously, but when you're looking at the potential here uh, and, and the track record, the young and, and light track record that he has, not only at Boston College, but also with Team USA at the World Juniors, um, th- this is going to be a trade, I think, that we're going to look back on, as I said, and go, man, this, this worked out. This is a trade that really, really worked out for both teams. It will be. Uh, it's unfortunately that uh, we're probably not going to see them go off against each other uh, this year, at least. I'm just kind of looking at the schedule. I think they've already played, and, and I doubt Cutter is going to even show up to the Ducks this year. Maybe late this year, but we'll have to wait yeah. and see. Uh, William Nylander signs as well. Eight years, uh, $11.5 million per season. Uh, a thought on the mm-hmm. deal and, and kind of how this came to fruition from the conversations in the off season. I, I like the deal. Um, I, honestly, for both sides, I think it's uh, a little bit more on the player side uh, in, in terms of the influence that was put towards making this happen. Really, it just came down to the Leafs being okay with the fact that they're going to have to cough up this amount of money. You know, everybody's saying that they could have had him for eight, nine million in the summer. No, they could not have because that's not what Nylander was looking at. You know, Nylander in the summer told them straight up that it was going, or at least his agent did, Louis Gross, um, that it's going to cost $10 million plus, 10 to 10.5 to 11 plus, um, to get this done. And when you are ready to come to the table with that number, that, then we'll talk. And the Leafs in the summer were in the 8.5 to 9 range, moved into the 9s, and then that's kind of where it was. Um, could they have you know, maybe gotten them for closer to the, the 10, 10.5 range in the summer? probably, um, but they wanted to, they wanted to wait and Willie wanted to wait as well and, and just prove to them that, Hey, look, I, I'm not going to regress here. I'm 27. And my numbers are continuously going up. Just watch what I do this year. And hmm. he, he banked on himself and he won. Um, so, and the Leafs basically said, all right, look, uh, <laughs> we believe you. Um, <laughs> we, we know you're going to continue to, to keep rolling here. Cause again, 27 years old, at least half of that deal should be a part of his prime. Um, so they, they, they bit down and, and decided that, yep, this is, this is what we need to do. David Pinota joining us right now, editor-in-chief at the fourth period, host of Sirius XM NHL Network Radio as well. David, I would love to dry, dry, pardon me, dive into the trade 
targets board that you have up at the fourth period because it is littered with flames. The top four all have a link to the flames, in fact. Let's start with number one. It is Elias Lindholm. What can you tell us the latest on uh, what you've been hearing about number 28 on the trade front? Well, I mean, it, it, it's kind of status quo um, with respect to Calgary just being open and willing to listen. Um, you know, I, I don't think anything is, you know, imminent by any stretch um, unless something's happened in the last 12 hours. But um, this, is, this is a scenario where with most of their guys that are on expiring deals, um, that they're going to sit back and they're going to listen and they're going to see how they can maximize uh, you know, a, a return. I, I think Craig Conroy is in a position where he's in both buying and selling mode. Um, you know, this isn't going to be a rebuild. This isn't going to be a tear it all down scenario, you know, for, for the Calgary Flames. This is, this is going to be a uh, just management being realistic with its situation and, and where they're at. Um, you know, two points out of a playoff spot, you know, right now, um, although, you know, behind the Oilers and the Oilers have four games in hand. So if you want to kind of be a little bit more realistic about that, you look at Nashville, who are sitting even, and that's six points back. Um, yes, they want to make the playoffs. Yes, they want to push to compete. But at the same time, if they have the belief that they're not going to be able to sign Lindholm or Tanev or Hannafin or some of their other guys, um, do you want to risk losing them for nothing and still miss the playoffs? So I think they're in a position now with Lindholm, and look, he's going to generate a ton of interest. He, he already has. You know, you have your usual suspects in Colorado and Boston, but also you're going to add Winnipeg to that mix. You're going to add um, the Carolina Hurricanes. You're going to add a couple other teams. Because of his cap hit at under $5 million, um, he, he becomes that much more attractive. So there are going to be teams that are going to be knocking on the door to get this guy. And I think uh, unless you know, the, the, the Flames change their mindset and are willing to give him $9 million plus on an extension – um, they're going to try to max the return and with all of their guys. And I think if they can package up, at least this, is, this sounds like talking to some other teams around the league, it sounds like the, the ideal scenario under these circumstances would be max your return, get as much as you can, and use some of those pieces to package up to bring in players that could fit here either long-term or the controllable and eventually become long-term assets. So it's, I, I think it's going to be a little of both. And I think Lindholm certainly will bring the biggest prize, um, but he won't be the only one, I don't think. Uh, the, the other two that are obviously drawing the attention are, are Hannafin and Tanev. A lot of talk here in market recently about Hannafin uh, potentially signing a, a contract extension now uh, with those talks maybe opening back up again. Well, what's the latest you've heard on the two defensemen that are available out here in Calgary? Yeah, I, with, with Hannafin, I think it, this is more Calgary's attempt to try to uh, see if, if, if they can get to the finish line on this. Um, we all know about the eight-year extension from the start of the season. Seven and a half million AAV um, seems to be the number that, that everyone's aligned with um, in terms of being accurate. Uh, so, you know, you're looking at a $60 million contract, and um, he, he was hesitant to, you know, to, to sign it, obviously, and he didn't at the start of the season. If there's more hesitancy now... And then going back to last season as well, um, that to me just shows me that in his gut, he feels like he might want to be elsewhere. And, you know, a couple extra million dollars when you're making 60, um, I, I don't think is going to 
change anybody's mind at this point. So I, I would be a little bit surprised if he does come to terms on, on an extension based on the history of, or in the last year anyway, um, of the dealings and, and his apparent mindset. Um, so if, if you're Calgary and you're going to take one more stab at it, I get that. And if it doesn't work, then you explore the options. I do think since the calendar flipped here to January, you know, in the last you know, nine, 10 days, uh, I, I do think that New Jersey's kind of upped their efforts on their end in terms of trying to get Hannafin. Um, there are other teams certainly that have inquired, but I think New Jersey is definitely a team that has him, you know, kind of near the top of their wish list. And, and we'll see how these conversations go internally. Um, but I, I think he's going to be a guy that's on their radar. Like Tanev was another one, but I think they're looking more, more mobile. Um, and Hannafin certainly fits, mm. fits that, um, that mold for them. So we'll see. I, I think Tanev is, is pretty much in the same boat. You know, these guys want to see where this team is at long-term um, beyond this season. And again, if there's hesitancy, it, I, I think it's, it's probably in Calgary's best interest to move on. I would recommend our listeners go check out the trade targets board over at the fourth period. One more thing I wanted to touch on, Colton Pareko's listed at number two, and under the interested teams, there's just one club, and it happens to be the Calgary Flames. Yeah. Uh, a thought, perhaps. This goes back to last season um, when St. Louis was looking at a variety of different options in shaking up their roster a little bit. Um, now, he has, Colton Pareko has a full no-trade clause. Um, so if there is anything with Calgary or another team, he, he'd have to sign off on it. But there were discussions, and this was pre, you know, Craig Conroy taking over as GM. Trey Living was still the main guy. Um, but there were some discussions with Calgary when they were looking at kind of shaking things up on, on their blue line um, and seeing, you know, what other options are out there. And Pareko would be one of those guys because he has term, I think, six or seven more years on his contract. Um, where you get a controllable asset that you can bring in and offset the fact that you're losing, you know, Tana, for example, and, and won't be re-signing him. So uh, I think there's still some interest there. Uh, I don't know if it's escalated to the point of, you know, things really heating up right now, um, but there has been interest in Pareko before. Um, I think there is some interest now still, and that could be an option. And this goes back to what I talked about, moving out assets, packaging up some of those pieces for, for a long-term solution. And I think Pareko would be on their radar. As always, uh, enjoy your time. Uh, enjoy our chat. Uh, thank you for stopping by. And we'll make sure that we uh, got our eyes peeled for any more deals that just pop up out of nowhere. Thank you, David. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks so much. There you go. Dave Pignota from the fourth period. And Sirius XM NHL Network Radio, uh, one of the insiders for the NHL. Yeah, real good one, too. I am so fascinated by this Gauthier whole situation. I mm -hmm. want I want it to be that I just grew up a Penguins fan. Didn't want to be in uh, didn't want to be in Philadelphia. I want that to be the reason so badly because that's so absurd. Like I grew up a Blue Jays fan. But if the Yes Network came to me tomorrow and was like, hey, you want to do play by play for the Yankees? First flight to the Bronx. All Allegiant just gone. So uh, to to have that sort of commitment to your uh, your, your hometown team I was, is quite something. I was talking with GVP in the other room of like like at what point when you know like hey I'm going to be a pro hockey player when does it like I'm not a fan anymore like like it got to be around 15 16 like hey I can really be an NHL player 
I'm done being a fan of this team. So I don't know if if that is such the reason why he didn't sign with Philadelphia. I find it hard, hard to, to believe, be. yeah. right? GVP? Oh, I don't believe Go that ahead. would be, but I want it to. Yeah, that, that's what I would think. I was talking about with Patrick. Like, at a certain point, you're not a fan of these guys anymore. You're kind of thinking of your self as, future. Their, as, as their peers yeah. almost, right? You're, you're yeah. a draft They're going to be colleagues of yeah. yours. Yeah. yeah, so I I doubt that that would be the reason, but it would definitely, you know, set Philadelphia on fire if, if it was. It's also interesting, like, kind of knowing the differences between how guys look at the league as, you know, a job versus a passion. Like, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that people talk about with Mark Scheifele is he's a stats nerd. Like, he mm-hmm. loves looking at, like, how other guys in the NHL are doing, what their numbers are, and, mm-hmm. and like he he remembers yeah. all of it. And then there's other guys, I'm sure, that as soon as practice is done, they're like, "Get me the hell away from this!" Yeah. Like I think of Austin Eckler in the NFL with the Chargers, or who Nikola has Jokic. Like, this is a job. Sure, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. There maybe aren't as many examples in the NHL, but yeah. I just think that's kind of the nature of the hockey mm-hmm. player that they're like, "Well, I'm not going to say that in public because." I, I want to look, yeah. I, I look like this is all that I care about yeah. and, and all that type of stuff, whereas I think that there's other people in other sports who are pretty comfortable with being like, no, this nope. is how I feel. Yep. And I, if you I don't, don't like separate. it too bad, I'm still going to go <laughs> win championships, and that's how it's going to be. Yeah. But maybe those sports are just a little bit more individual kind of than For sure. how a hockey yeah. player is almost, you know, programmed, I guess. Yeah. But I don't know. This is fascinating. Like, when's Cutter going to talk about it? Yeah. Is he going to talk about it? Is he going to spill the beans? I don't think he has to now. I don't think he has to. Yeah. But also, will, if, if I'm hit, well, I don't think he's going to talk anytime soon because he's not yeah. even with the team. He he's, doesn't a have Boston, to. he's a Boston yeah. College right now, isn't he? he yeah. Yep. In the middle of his second year. Yeah. And when that time eventually rolls around, if he's still a member of the Ducks and, and they're playing the Philadelphia Flyers, it's just going to be the. It doesn't same matter old if it's the Ducks, though. Well, yeah, it doesn't matter wherever, wherever he goes. Gonna be, he's just gonna yeah. be like, I, I did what I had to do for for my career, kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's 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 just gonna be a lot of talking with a lot of, but basically no answers, right? People like, here in Calgary still get to the bottom of that. Or Sorry. I wonder if he's going to. I wonder if he does spill the beans, like just based on everything that we've seen from everyone in Philadelphia over the last twenty four hours. Yeah, he's kind of taking it from all sides right now in Philadelphia. So what, maybe some kind of shot back. Reporters, with- bloggers, podcasters, front office, the head coach, CEOs. the CEO of the team, <laughs> everybody on social media. Yeah. Like, everybody is dunking on the guy right now. It's pretty crazy to see. Uh, we got to take a break. Francis joins us next to talk a little bit about the Flames. Um, and we'll continue to get more into this conversation about the trade and, and everything else. we got football chat coming up at 8 o'clock as well. Charles Davis, a day late, uh, but not a buck short. Tell you that for free. We'll have that chat coming up just after 8 o'clock as well. But Francis joins us next. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Welcome back to the show. The big show, no Russick, just Rose, NPK, and Patty Dumas, and GVP. Text line calls it the Pete Rose show. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Bet on it. Ah. <laughs> that was good, actually. That's not that good. <laughs> we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to chat with Eric Francis, Flames writer, reporter for sports. Now, you see him on the TV. You read him on the internet. What's up, buddy? You in the tub? No, I, it's a no tub today. Oh, no tub today. It's been mm. a long night. Blah blah blah. 
sick children, blah, blah, blah. No top tonight. That's okay. Okay, well, we'll move on. That's kind of disappointing. The bubbles are I, a little nice background for these hits, but it's fine. Ne- next week, I promise you'll be back to the, back to the top. All right, we'll hold you to it. Um, what did you make of this past weekend for the Calgary Flames? They lose to the Flyers. Jacob Markstrom, probably the best flame on the ice in that one. They lose a close one, and then a much more disappointing result against the Chicago Blackhawks. How do you look at the weekend that was to cap off what could have been an outstanding road trip. Yeah, opportunity missed. I mean, the way you start that trip, you, you you start to think, wow, okay, maybe this is what they're talking about, stringing three or four or five together. And, uh, and then you've come up against two relative patsies. I know I know Philadelphia's got a better record than anyone expected, but you, and they were pretty good in Philadelphia, but they were not very good in Chicago and uh you got a situation where you could have, you know, stayed in that really tight pack, man. I don't know if I, do you guys look at that, the standings after every game. It's like it's amazing how, mm. and it's going to be like that right till the very end. Just how close everybody is at that wild card race in the West, and uh, and you know every time you lose, you drop out of that, and it's uh, it's going to be monumental to try and get through that cluster of teams for one of the final spots. So it'll be a uh, it's going to be an uphill climb. There's still 42 games, <clears throat> excuse me, 42 games left. But I'm not sure how many people can consider them a favorite in terms of squeezing into the playoffs. But really, this season's not just about getting into the playoffs. It's yeah. about so much more. And that's that's what all the talk will be about for the next year. Yeah, like it's it's been kind of wild to even watch this team battle with getting over 500. Like it almost feels like it's some sort of a a mental block for them right now. I think they've been over 500 maybe once in the the past week here, and then a couple losses, and boom, you're right back under that mark again. Yep, yep. And and as everybody knows, if you're around 500, you're not going anywhere in the playoffs. So <clears throat> they need to get uh, they need to get in the 600. You know, they need to play 600 hockey from now to the end of the year to even have a chance at uh, getting into the playoffs. But, you know, I don't, I'm not sure when the narrative changes from, uh, you know, them staying in the playoff race to moving into just, hey, we're going to be good next year or the year after sort of thing. But uh, right now, people are still fixated on staying in the race. How much does an effort like the the one we saw on the weekend change that? I, I know that uh, Don Maloney went on uh, Sportsnet on TV and said that they're they're going to decide by the All Star break to, uh, w- what path and whatnot. But I think a lot of fans watched what we saw on on Sunday and thought this isn't necessarily a team that wants to be saved. Even uh, so, so how much you don't want to re- overreact to one game? But how much does a game like Sunday kind of affect what way the Flames may go with some of these pending UFAs? I think it leaves a mark. Like it's one that people will be talking about for a while and uh, especially in light of what the Hawks did to the Flames last year but winning all three games and pretty much costing them the playoff spot um, you remember that game late last year when they were playing Chicago they were right there and they lost at home against Chicago and that was considered the final death knell for the team so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if people do remember this game you know at season's end even they're, they're thinking man that's where that's where we lost it right there uh, even though it's only two points, it was a huge uh, psychological turn for this team. They knew after the game that they had squandered an opportunity, like an incredible opportunity. You know, I think it's pretty well documented missing 10 players, including Bedard. Like they lost all three games 
to Chicago last year. I would argue that Chicago's a much worse team this year, and and they lost him again. So, <clears throat> sorry, excuse my voice, boys, but um, maybe that's for me yelling at the TV on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> it's just so hard. To, they're hard to figure out, you know. And all all during the broadcast, they kept talking about trap game and can't can't let this happen, can't let that happen, and all of it happened. So uh, uh, they're just not learning. When it comes to kind of picking a direction for uh, for, for the next little while now, obviously Lindholm, Hannafin, Tan have a lot of decisions to be made. Is it just, well, if they're in the race, then, then maybe we look at something that's a bit more immediate? Uh, like, do we know what the actual cutoff is for, for what they might be looking for in terms of like long-term or short-term? No, I, I don't think there's been any timeline set. I, I do think that they've set prices on all the players that they're looking to shop. And uh, as soon as those prices are met, they'll, they'll be gone. Um, but the problem is a lot of those prices can't be met because a lot of teams are every single game they play, they eat up a little more salary cap, <clears throat> a little more, you know, it, it costs less to acquire players as you get close to the end of the year. So I think, you know, we're still not going to see anything happen anytime soon. As a matter of fact, if I were to make a prediction, I would say, you know, in the next two or three weeks, the next thing you're going to see in terms of these pending fee UFAs is, is the signing of a contract for Noah Hannafin. I, I really do believe that's going to happen. I, I, I am, I'm in fully support of it. Um, you know, the rationale is, look, you're going to trade away a 26-year-old guy in his prime. He's still got probably five more years in his prime. And you're going to trade him away for – a first rounder and a prospect or maybe, you know, maybe two prospects with the hopes that any single one of them would be even half as good as Noah Hannafin. So why go through the whole rigmarole and take that risk when a guy for the next five years can still be a solid number three, if not number two defenseman on other teams in the league. So that's where I think they're at with Hannafin. And, and the big thing is he wants to be here. And that's not always the case yeah. with UFAs, as we've seen in, in the last little while. So the fact that he wants to be here, the fact that they know him inside out, the fact that he is a, gr- a really good defenseman, uh, I don't see any reason why they would trade Noah Hampton. The other guys, yeah, they're gone. Tanev, mm. gone. Uh, Lindholm, gone. Um, I would dare say Vladar, gone. But, uh, but, but I don't see Hampton going. Do you have any idea on what term or dollar might look like on that? Yeah, I, I think it'll be right around the neighborhood of what was, you know, originally thought to be the case, eight years, seven and a half million dollars. And, uh, you know, I, I think people debate right away when they hear that number. I think that's too high, too low. Um, at the end of the day, the guy's a number three with a bullet. Like he's, he could be a number two, like I said, on most teams in the National Hockey League. The skating is not going to disappear, right? He's one of the better skaters. And even in time, I think that contract uh, ends well uh, for the organization. So I, I I would still think it's going to be a $7.5 million deal times eight or seven years. Uh, appreciate you battling through with us. I got a couple more for you really quickly. Uh, first off, a couple of guys, a few guys, headed down to the Wranglers for some conditioning. Shillington uh, last week and then... Rooney and Peltier yesterday assigned. Just a thought on 
A, when they might get into some games with the Wranglers, and B, when we might see them back with the Flames? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I, my goal today is to go watch a Wranglers practice, not a Flames practice. I mean, that's <laughs> far more interesting to see that, uh, you know, unfold. Um, in terms of timelines, listen, they've taken it very slowly with uh, Oliver Schillington for obvious reasons, and they'll continue to do that. They don't want to make any promises on anything. They want to take it day by day uh, in terms of him getting into a game. Um, yeah, I think, if, you know, I, I wouldn't get the, I wouldn't think you'd want Pelche or Rooney to practice more than once or twice before you'd throw him them into the uh, into the AHL games. They've been very cautious with both those guys. Um, they, they, they see no need to rush either one of them back into action. So this tells me that they're fully ready to start playing right away, but they're still going to take a little more time before they do that. So I, I would I would say within the week, you'll be able to see two, if not three, of those guys in the Rangers lineup. And Eric, I uh, wanted to end here, and it's a bit of a sad note to close on, but Burke Dale's former Stampeders punter passed away at the age of 46. Uh, someone who I know... Uh, really was engaging with the media and the city even after he had retired, won the Grey Cup in 2008. I was wondering if you could just uh, maybe tell us a story about uh, your time covering Burke while he was a member of the Calgary Stampeders or or even crossing paths with him after that. Yeah, you know, and sometimes when you cover an athlete, you know, you, you can be cordial with them, but you, you, I don't. you rarely call them a friend. Uh, until maybe after their career is over. Um, I considered Burke Dale's a friend. Uh, after after he finished playing football, we stayed in touch. He was, uh, you know, a regular at the Pizza Pig Out sort of thing. Uh, played golf with him. Um, just, a, just a really good guy. This really caught me off guard. I knew he'd had a rough ride of late, but I had obviously didn't have any idea how bad it was. Um, just so sorry to hear that. Uh, you know, he was the type of personality that kept the CFL relevant. You know, I look back over the years at guys like AJ Johnson and, um, and and so many other so many other names of guys who were household names in Calgary in their time. And now I dare say, you know, I'm not sure I could name a Stampeder right now, and that's too bad. But uh, he was a guy who was out there in the community helping make a name for the Stampeders and damn, it's just so sad. So sad to see that news that he passed away. I was, I was really hurt by that. Well said, my friend. Um, enjoy practice today. We will chat soon and uh, see you at the dome later tonight as well. Thanks boys. Again, sorry for my voice. I, uh, I promise I look worse than I sound. <laughs> well, that's unsettling to say the least. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> Cheers boys. There you go. Eric Francis, uh, Sportsnet. You see him on TV. You mm-hmm. read him on the internet. Very well dressed normally. Thought on the Hannafin comment there. Expects <laughs> him to be signed within weeks, I guess. Like, I understand the logic of it. Like, he, like he Boy, said. Boy, how about this roller coaster this has been? Hey? Oh, yeah. Just <laughs> all over the place. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Upside down and inside out. And now we're inside. Now we're outside. Yeah. And. Whoa. Doesn't just not want to play in Calgary. Doesn't want to play in Canada in general. Well, maybe he'd stay in Calgary. Um, well, he likes it here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, seven and a half will do it. Right. What? <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, uh, it turns out that it became cold again in January, and he decided not to play in Calgary anymore. Like, it's it just, 
I understand what, what Eric is saying there, where you make a move um, trading out a Hannafin, hoping that eventually you get another Noah Hannafin. I, I, I fully understand that. And if you lock him in now at $7.5 million for eight years, that contract goes till he's 34, 35 years old, it is, I think, far from an albatross. But we just saw this team lose the Blackhawks. We have seen this team have to scratch and claw to stay a couple of points out of a playoff spot. At some point, you're kind of just locking into mediocrity, and that feels like it is. I'm not saying Hannafin is a mediocre player. I am just saying, like, I don't know where the better is coming from on this team right now. Yeah, like, he makes it harder to bottom out if that's the plan down the road. Yeah. And, and yeah, you could point to losses against Philly and Chicago that are really disheartening. That's for sure. But, hmm. You know, it's like there, they're, they're there's two been points some out of a positive playoff. play. I don't know. The thing about signing Hannafin is that does not feel like a play for this year or even maybe the year after. Mm-hmm. Like we've talked about, like you're going to need to keep some defenseman around here, right? And Hannafin's a guy that can play with Rasmus Anderson, that can play with Chris Tanev, that can play with a whole lot of different guys. Yep. I, he skates extremely well. We, we talked about it, I don't know if it was last week or even yesterday, but. Is it crazy to think he's got 600 more games in him over eight years? Right. No, I don't think so at all. He's going to get you 35 to 45 points every year, something along those lines, and stays very healthy typically. You know, I, I don't think he's much of a power play guy, but he can help you out on the PK as, as your second pairing type of guy. It's it's an interesting back and forth because I've, I've felt for the last little bit here if there was one of the three that you should keep, it's probably him. Mm-hmm. And then I would say Chris Tanev on something short-term like the Michael Backlund deal, if you could do that, but that seems unlikely. And then the next one would be Elias Lindholm. Just because I don't think he plays very well with Jonathan Huberdeau. You know, lately we've seen a little bit of a change there. But at the same time, I still think that you could get a ton of value for a guy like Elias Lindholm right now. And yeah. he also feels like someone that doesn't always feel so keen to be returning to this organization or doing something long-term. Right. Yeah, and like there are obviously a lot of layers to it, but it just it feels like where this organization was like a decade ago when it kind of felt like the, the post-04 thing was wearing down. It's like, okay, well, we kind of need to pick a new direction, but, I mean, we can't let this guy go and you wouldn't trade Iggy. Of course not. I mean, what, you're just going to let Damon Lankow go for free? No, got to keep that guy around. Well, I mean, Tony Monty was just there, so you got to keep him. Like, you just... You can talk yourself into all these individual things and then, oh, look at that, we're ninth again. And I, I just like, yes, Noah Hannafin is excellent. None of this is a a, a, a shot at Noah Hannafin at all. I think the world of the dude as a, a defenseman. But with him, this team is ninth in, or eighth, sorry, in the, sorry, sixth in the, uh, the, the wild card rankings right now. They are two points back of an Edmonton team who has four games in hand. Like, Okay, if he can come in and rejuvenate things or whatever, then you get your heads caved in by Vegas and Winnipeg in the the first round of the playoffs, and you're exactly where you have been basically since 1989. Hmm. The other thing here is maybe it starts to bring more teams in in a little bit more of an aggressive nature when you kind of get the idea out. Now I know, like we talked about, it's been up and down with this kind of talk with Hannafin all year, so I wonder how much other teams are like, okay, like, are we calling, what are we doing? Are you, is this, yeah, you guys calling Wolf again on me? What's, what's going on here? Does he actually want out or is he actually going to stay? 
But if you're another team and you need a young, you know, in his prime two-way defenseman that can eat up 22 to 23, four or five minutes a night for you, your opportunity to sign to trade for him might be dwindling. Mm-hmm. Now, at the same time, if you're another team and you're hearing that they're getting close on term and you're like, hey, now we kind of have an idea of what the dollar is going to be. Maybe we can be a little bit more aggressive in trying to sort this thing out. Yeah. You know, seven and I like seven and a half over eight years. Yeah. I really like seven and a half over eight years. I think that is a great number to be at. I also like that the markets have corrected themselves since that summer a few years ago and everyone just got nine schmill for being a defenseman that plays on the top pair. <laughs> Because that's what I was kind of afraid of with the player here. Yeah. But, you know, George and I have had this conversation a lot, even going back to the offseason, about Hannafin. What is he? Is there more to the ceiling that is Noah Hannafin? I don't necessarily think so. No. But that's fine. Right. The, The guy who is here now is all right. The guy who plays 80 games and will skate 22 minutes a night yeah. and is going to get you 35 to 40 points and most of them at even strength, mm-hmm. that's a good player to have. At $7.5 million, that's a great player to have. It's like Hampus Lindholm in Boston. It's an outstanding player, and that's exactly what he's at. And that's what he does. Yeah, You know, he's not their number one quarterback on the power play. It's more Charlie McAvoy or Matt Grizzlick or some utility guy that they got. But he comes in and he does the job. And that's kind of exactly what I've looked like. The, that's that's the good framework for a Hannafin extension is what Hampus Lindholm got when he was traded to Boston by the Ducks and then he signed his extension there. So I don't know. That's another interesting wrinkle here. You know, Elliot Freeman has talked about something very similar over mm-hmm. the weekend about the Flames maybe moving closer to an extension. Um, the next time we'll hear about it is probably when we chat with Frank Soravalli on Friday. Unless, of course... Something happens before then, but right. that would be surprising to, I think, everybody involved. I don't know, man. He threw Dan Vladar's name in there as a guy could be moved as well. Yeah. We've talked about Jacob Markstrom a lot more on the show the last week to 10 days rather than Dan Vladar, but I think either one of those is something that the team kind of has to look at at the deadline, if not the offseason, to try you have to find a way to get Wolf into the NHL by next year full-time, yes. even if it's a backup. And then, of course, he said Lindholm and Tanev probably both gone. Yeah, that, that those two do seem like... Like, the Tanev one, he is basically as good as gone, I, I feel like, um, just based on, on age and, and the direction of this team. And Lindholm, that that contract ask is just so much. And nine. I... Yeah. yeah, nine. And I... He, the thing is, he will probably get that somewhere. But on this Flames team right now, again, given where they are at, that there is not one moment of this season where I have thought the Flames should lock into $9 million on Elias Lindholm. So that one, and as we talked about yesterday, every team in the league is looking for a a top six centerman, you know? Especially if you're a contender. Right, yeah, exactly. There's oh, If you could always bump your second down center to be your third line center. Yeah, you feel great about that. You love that. Yeah, That's great. Especially if it's a guy that coming in, kill penalties, and, and do all that type of stuff. You know what would be another interesting wrinkle if they can get Hannafin signed before the extension? Huh. Is they would have one more retained salary spot available. That is true. You know, you we're imagining that they're going to use, well, I had imagined that they were going to use all three because if you don't know, you can only retain salary on three contracts at one time. Yeah. 
Uh, I imagined it was going to be on Noah Hannafin, Elias Lindholm, and Chris Tanev. But if you sign Noah Hannafin, all of a sudden you can retain on Lindholm, you can retain on Tanev, and maybe you start to look at some of those other guys that have a little bit more term on them. Right. Like, does someone want an Andrew Mangiapane mm. at less than 5.85? Yeah, because or if Dubé I'm not mis- for just the, the, this year, right? Like, Yeah, well, yeah, but Dubé, even his cap hit is so small that I don't know if you would need someone to retain on, you know, the 2.3 that he makes. Well, I guess if someone... A lot of teams are cap-strapped, right? Then it, then it gets into the conversation of what is Dylan Dubé. He's an RFA at the end of the year. You know, I wondered about Manjapani, who's got one more year at 5.8 after this. You know, yep. I know a lot of people talk about Blake Coleman. That one doesn't really make as much sense to me because he's got three more years after this at 4.9. But once again, then Jacob Markstrom enters the conversation a little bit more as a guy with just right. two more years at six. So yeah, I just you can, think you can move him at three. I think you get a, an amazing return for that, you know? Yeah. Then you have to eat three for the next two years. But if, if you're moving him, then you don't care. Yeah. Uh, the Flames have only retained salary in one contract in their history. It was David Reddick's deal, and it wasn't a lot of money. No. It would be unprecedented for this ownership group to be okay with paying that much money to a guy that is doing nothing for your team. You know, I guess you could always sell the return goes up, and yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all that type of stuff. But at the same time, um, I think you just have to look at it. And even if you take a million off, yeah, a million and a half, Jacob Marks from at four and a half, five million bucks. I think a lot of teams would be really happy with that. Yep. Hard to make it happen. Yes. But that would be a dollar that at least would be fair for the netminder. Totally. Heck, I think six is fair. Yes. But, 100%. Alas. Um, okay. That was uh, our chat with Eric Francis. A little bit ill. So we didn't get to everything that we want to chat about with Francis, but that's fine. He joined us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Hour one of the big show is live wherever you get your podcasts. If you missed it, uh, we checked some audio on Cutter Goche. Patty had the morning report today as well. You can get your podcast uh, for the big show, Apple, Spotify, Google. Leave a nice review. Give us a nice rating as well. We would really appreciate it if you could do that while you are there. Hour three is next. We'll kick it off with Charles Davis. Some thoughts on the NFL week that was, the regular season that was, and the coaching carousel. Uh, And then at 8.30... Uh, We'll tee up the Ottawa Senators and Calgary Flames game tonight. Also, Patty's got a guest at 9.05. It's one of our favorites, Tommy Wielden Jr., the general manager and head coach of Cavalry FC, is going to join the show just after 9 o'clock as well. Busy hour three ahead. Loaded up, friends. Sportsnet 960, the fan.